0: This is Confluence, Confluence, where great ideas flow together.
1: This is Confluence, where great ideas flow together. The podcast of the Graduate School of the University of Montana. I'm Ashby Kinch, Dean of the Graduate School. On Confluence, we travel down the tributaries of wisdom and beauty that enrich the soil of knowledge on our beautiful mountain campus.
0: Well, we just had our first lab meeting of the semester this morning and we have a bunch of new students who just moved to Montana and Phoebe's kind of a long time Missoulian. So I asked her for some recommendations or advice for people just moving to Montana and um, I was expecting, you know, like... There are festivals in Cares Park or stuff like that. Um, but she kind of launched into what was like a very informative, but I think alarming, um, PSA around bears and bear safety. And it was fun to just watch the horror wash over all the new students' faces as she, um, talked about encountering bears on a regular basis and um, when you should carry bear spray and when you should, shouldn't. Um, so she is very knowledgeable about all things outdoors and she may, she's training us to be better Montanans.
1: You just heard the voice of Rachel Williamson, a professor in UM's clinical psychology program, talking about Phoebe Bean, a PhD student and our guest on this episode. Phoebe is pursuing fascinating research at the intersection of psychology and climate change, studying the way Montanans are experiencing climate loss in their local communities. Her work asks questions like, what models can we generate to assess the impact of climate change on our mental health? What parts of that impact are individual, and what parts are communal? How can we think more proactively about ways to address these mental health impacts to encourage models of change and community resilience. In the conversation that follows, we track her career as a student and researcher with a focus on the way bringing interdisciplinary perspectives to bear on common questions can produce innovative models of thinking about tough issues. This episode is part of a series focusing on the mental and behavioral health programs at the University of Montana, which serve the community, the state, and the region. Listeners will be inspired to hear emerging voices in the behavioral health sphere, we are going to make positive impacts in the years to come. Welcome to Confluence, where the river is always with us. Welcome to Confluence, Phoebe.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So you and I know each other for a while. um, You took a class from me as an undergrad here at UM way back in 2016, a Chaucer class. Uh, And I I was just telling you, you know, I, I... remember that fondly. It was an incredible group of students from all over campus, a lot of different disciplines, and you came in from psychology. Do you remember why you took that class?
2: I, you know, I honestly don't remember why, um, except that at that time I was just hungry for any sort of challenge, and um, I had heard really good things about that class, and I can't remember who recommended it to me, but um, it's, it stands out as one of my, my favorite classes I've ever taken, including my, my graduate studies.
1: So. Yeah. But I think it also just, it was such an interdisciplinary group. And in that class, I could see in you and other, other folks um, that hunger to kind of work across boundaries and not have methodologies, you know, limit what they're talking and thinking about. And I think that's been important to you just as a researcher as you've gone along. That's why I kind of started there. That interdisciplinary interest, I think, is pretty natural to you as a, as a person, and it kind of maybe impacted choices you made later as a, you know, in terms of what you wanted to do for graduate study, but you needed this research exposure. So tell us a little bit about how that happened, uh, how you first got into research.
2: Yeah. So I took a biopsych class, um, I think the same semester that I took the honors Chaucer class, with Dr. Stuart Hall, and I was blown away and just felt deep in my bones that I needed to learn more um, about whatever this subject was that he was teaching. Um, And so I reached out to him, and he invited me to join his research lab as an undergraduate uh, research assistant. And the rest is history. I, um, I I really took to it. You got the bug. Got the bug. Uh, yeah. started collecting data as an undergraduate and worked on a number of of projects that um, that really emphasize the importance of interdisciplinary collaboration um, and kind of looking at people through uh, a lens that is not as siloed as I think um we often succumb to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so there's two components I really want to lift up the interdisciplinary one, of course, but then also just undergraduate research and how important it is to get folks involved. So one of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast is that full vertical column of experience where someone grows and evolves a research bug like they get it but they have to be exposed to it so mentor has to kind of bring them into it but then at each level they kind of grow and find that new terrain that they work in and um you know so it's just something we like we love to hear that story right that that you had that first experience and then here you are you know five years into your phd kind of pivoting to your own project
2: yeah absolutely i think um the The curriculum that UM offers for undergraduates includes courses at both the kind of lower division and upper division level for gaining research experience. And that really helped make it possible for me, um, you know, just taking credits that actually led to meaningful research.
1: Yeah. Well, let's go back to the... the the interest in psychology that, you know, Stewart's work is very much on the experimental side, but you kind of knew you wanted to do more human-focused work in psychology, and so you wanted to do a clinical degree. Did you apply broadly, or did you kind of know you wanted to do it at UM?
2: I actually um, only applied to UM. I had my connection with Dr. Hall Stewart, and Missoula felt like home, I had no interest in leaving. Uh, I've kind of moved around a lot in my life, and for the first time, felt really sure that this was the place that I wanted to to stay and kind of grow in. Um, and I'm so glad that I did.
1: Yeah, and that's I think highly relevant to your dissertation project, which we'll come back to later. But you know, growing roots and and caring about the environment is gonna you know it does weigh heavily on your on your project. Um, but so you wanted to do the clinical work. And then this program in particular is kind of in, rooted in what I learned from you is the Boulder model um, that you're, they're not just clinical practitioners, but they, there's a strong research component, right? There are clinical psychology programs out there that are more practice focused, but this one tries to balance. They try to get you really involved in research, but then also getting your clinical hours and your eventually your internship work. Um, so that was kind of, I'm assuming a part of the match for the program for you
2: absolutely and i think um something that's so important to to remember um just in my clinical practice today is we can't be good clinicians unless we're pulling from um, good data. And um, we, we certainly don't want to be reinventing the wheel or causing inadvertent harm. And we can really lean on our ability through this, this training model to be good consumers of research mm-hmm. and use best practices to inform our clinical work. Um, so, yeah, that the Boulder model... Um, I think is is it uniquely positions psychologists to um, to be to not only carry out great clinical work but but know how to consume um, the field's research as well.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. And I've had the good fortune on uh, our NSF M. Hope's grant. It's called uh, the Mental Health Opportunity for STEM Students um, to work with Brian Cochran, Holly Schleicher. Um, of course, Brian is current faculty in the clinical psychology. Holly did her PhD in that program. Annie Belcour also did her PhD in that program, but works in community health. And the feature you're pointing to here, the the, the firm research interest married with um, the clinical practice, is just to feature all their work. I mean, in talking to them, we've released a couple of episodes, so people can go listen to those. Um and I like this phrase you're using, consumer of research, because it, that's the virtuous circle, right? We're doing research, but we're also informed consumers. So in the clinical side, you're staying active and you're thinking about what's the next paradigm. And I'm setting you up here because I think the paradigm you're working on is pretty incredible. Like you've decided to focus your research on a pressing public issue, right? Which is environmental devastation we're in the midst of a, of a massive climate change and you're asking questions about um what that impact is going to have on our psychologically. Can you talk a little bit what what led you to that research? How how did you get into it?
2: Yeah. Um how deep do you want to go? As deep as you want to go. <laughs> uh so I grew up um I grew up in a family of conservationists and so the environment has has very much been um front of mind for me since I was a, a little kid. Um I've had various nonprofit jobs in the conservation world over the years. Um, I used to be a fly fishing guide, so water temperature was something that I tracked um, pretty regularly um, so that the, the fish weren't stressed. Um, and we know that as the weather and the climate shift in the summer, things are getting hotter, and um, wildlife is stressed. So those things have all been kind of part of my life for a long time. And um, my wife uh, is the sustainability um, manager for for Missoula County. And so I think together, we focus a lot on the climate and um, struggle with our own angst about what's happening to places that we love and, and people we love, um, landscapes we love. So, so that's kind of the background, um, setting the scene, I would say. And then in terms of my clinical work, I, I have always known I wanted to work with people and give back to my community, the path to, to finding um, mental health and climate change has been pretty winding and non-linear. Um, but I'm so glad that I found this um, kind of focus and emphasis because it's only going to be more important as time moves along to take care of one another and learn more about how Climate is going to impact people, um, perhaps in many similar ways, but also in really different ways. And there's not much information out there um, right now. And I think there's a real opportunity for us to um, to take good care of one another and build resilience in a new way, um, and kind of look at mental health differently.
1: Yeah, it's 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 such an important project. I'm privileged to be on the committee. I was shocked you asked me, but very glad to participate in it because I'm learning so much. And I think one of the things I think it's so important, especially in a conservative state, um, to, to be able to talk about these questions in a way that really, like, comes home to people on on their personal level. Anyone would recognize that that Montana has a mental health problem, right? We, you know, and it doesn't matter if you're a farmer or a rancher in eastern Montana or live in the middle of the liberal enclave of Missoula, right? Everyone knows it's an issue. And we think a little bit about the social determinants of what drives that, right? Loneliness, isolation in the case of some of our rural communities. But you're throwing in a, an important factor that we all kind of intuit is going to be a big part of discourse, social determinants of health, right? What are the things that are kind of outside the individual, that kind of press up? family, obviously school, economic factors, we can name a lot of those, but environmental change is, it probably is already, and we just haven't studied it. And it's certainly going to be a bigger factor as we go along. So I think it's important to be able to have a language to talk about that that isn't politically loaded. And I know that's a problem that you're kind of thinking about. Walk us through your survey and why it's so important and and what what you're up to in your research.
2: So the project um, has morphed a bit over over time. Uh, Right now, it's a statewide survey, um, kind of a needs assessment of sorts, to gather a ton of information about people's experiences with um, emotions that may or may not be tied to climate. Um, We're looking at conscious awareness uh, or lack thereof of climate impacts. And what's exciting about that to me is you'd think, well, you know, why would you need to know about people who might not attribute their psychological distress to the climate, even if it's very obvious that it is? Um, and the simple answer is that when you're when you're attempting to build resilience in a community, it doesn't matter what people are attributing their psychological distress to um, if the goal is to improve well-being. Um, so that's really important data, and I'm really excited to to learn more about um, that once uh, data come in. And we're also trying our best to, look at this problem through an equity lens because a lot of the climate and mental health research to date, not all but most, is um, centered around, uh, you know, affluent white people's struggles Mm -hmm. and what it means to them. And that's certainly not, it's not capturing a lot of people's experiences and so the the kind of overarching goal of the project is to not only um, kind of capture people's experiences in a really like meaningful and um, holistic way but also inform policy decisions and um, make sure that we're taking care of everyone and not just the folks who already have maybe more resources than other people do.
1: Yeah, I think that's so important on a, a bunch of levels, but one, one of them is that the disparate impacts of climate change themselves are going to be borne largely by non affluent communities, like marginal communities. And it's, an, again, one of those obvious facts that anyone who really looks at it sees immediately. But then the other part of it, you just hit on it, is that in more affluent. And your your field has this um, history problem uh, yeah. with, with what is uh, known as the weird, right? The white, educated, industrial, rich, developed nations that most of the survey work that gets done tends to be in that weird acronym. Absolutely. And so that their, your data is skewed just intrinsically, right? If you're doing surveys on ca- college campuses, you're capturing a, a very distinct population that's actually not normal in any way across a global population. So you already have that problem. And so you're trying to address that by making sure your survey gets all the way out uh, across the state in rural areas, uh, all through tribal nations. You know, in other words, saturating and getting data that's not just skewed toward that weird category.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we know that. Uh, climate change is a threat amplifier. So back to your social determinants of health, um, climate change isn't necessarily this new, isolated, uh, independent issue. It is exacerbating existing health disparities, right. um, and so it's it's amplifying um, what we know already exists. And so it's really important to to tackle this issue with equity in mind yeah. at the forefront.
1: Yeah. And then, and then of course there's that, that, so there's the, you know, the population level, there's the individual experience and kind of in between there's that, um, discourse that springs up and you wonder, What effects does it have? Um, You know, we were just talking uh, before recording about a panel coming up next week on echo melancholia. And so does talking about these issues, what does it accomplish? Does it accomplish to create a discourse around this that allows us to maybe start working through those issues? Um, Is it an amplifier of the grief side? And is it create uncontrolled anxiety? Or is it a way of managing that grief? We're going to all kind of, as a community, have to work on this collectively. We're going to have to think about what that reciprocal kind of relationship is going to be between sort of therapy, understanding, acceptance, all the things that like a uh, clinically you would want to make sure a patient is going through as well.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and I think one of the the exciting things about this project is we know so little about what might be helpful that um, we're hoping to learn more about um, are the, the solutions or the, the, um, Therapeutic interventions, if you will, similar across the board, or are there big differences that we need to be aware of? And do we need to approach mental health in a completely different way and kind of turn things um, on its head? And that's really exciting and kind of scary to think about because, um, and as we talked about earlier with the Boulder model and being a good consumer of research, sometimes you have to be a, you know, break new ground, um, and you might not have a lot of research to back a given intervention. And so that's where this kind of exploration gets really exciting and learning from people what might be helpful for them. Um, I think to your question about what does talking about it do? We know that social isolation is one of those determinants of health um, that can impact people's well-being. And so the more we can have a dialogue about this, people may start to feel less isolated in their experience. Um, Because it is a politically charged topic, um, the more exposure people have to conversations about their well-being and how that might be impacted to climate change. I see those as as positives and um, hopefully helping us move forward toward more open communication and collaboration um, as communities.
1: Yeah. So this, the timing of this conversation is in the midst of some really rich conversations in this local community in Missoula, but across the state and across the West. Um, and so it, you know, just this conversation couldn't be better time and your work couldn't be better time for feeding some some interesting new research into what is obviously gonna be for your generation and, and every generation to come a really pressing issue. What what's gonna be next for you when you're done with the the dissertation research and, you know, thinking about next steps professionally?
2: I will need to uh, complete my pre doctoral internship. Um And so that's similar to the the med um, residency match system. So an algorithm gets to churn out um, where we move to. Um, That is a year. And then I'll do a postdoc. And um, I haven't quite figured out exactly where my heart is. Uh, I am a say yes person and I love new experiences. And so I kind of... I'm constantly seeking out new things to learn, um, new people to connect with. And that really helps inform, um, kind of my soul in terms of what feels good. Yeah. Um, so I'm not quite sure, but I know that I want to be working with underserved populations. And I, I have recently been working at, uh, planned parenthood for my practicum and getting to work with, um, an underserved population across the state um, in, a, in a very rural state, as we know, living in Montana, has really driven home the the importance of uh, population health and bringing in equity uh, yet again yeah. um, and trying to reach as many people as possible. So I don't know quite yet how that will look, but that's really important to me. And I think those will be kind of guiding um yeah, guiding themes for me moving forward.
1: Yeah, so if I'm kind of hearing beneath the hearing about the practical side of it, you know, becoming a clinician, working in a local community might be part of it, but that you might be pivoting toward broader public health and community health type issues, which a, a lot of psychologists do, right? They recognize if we really want to get upstream of the problems that we see in the clinic, we got to do some some hard work in the community before we see that trauma or that, that experience.
2: Right. And I think that the project that I'm working on with you right now has also illuminated in a new way for me that, you know, culturally in this country, we're very individualistic as a whole. And therapeutic interventions are often on an individual basis. And that's great. And and sometimes that's really important and needed and necessary. And when we think about the devastation that is happening and will continue to happen with climate change, I believe that shifting the way that we think about how we're taking care of one another is really important. And, and building resilience on the community level will be really key.
1: Yeah. That's, that's really well put. And I think um, that's where, especially on the campus side of this discussion, we talk about sort of mental health and well-being as being these sort of paired things where the well-being part, it's a lot easier to talk about how important community is in the well-being side. But in the mental health side, we tend to interpret it individually. We tend to drop the lens down to the person, the individual person rather than the community. Um, and we definitely need more attention to that. So it's just so exciting to have young clinical psychologists coming up and, and really thinking about these new problems. Uh, these some of the same problems you always had, but through a new lens and thinking about these community intervention models. So I'm just uh, excited for the future of Phoebe Bean.
2: Thank you. I'm I'm a little anxious but also excited as well. And I um I'm I'm so thankful just to kind of Tie it back to the very beginning of our conversation and um, interprofessional collaboration. Um, you know, I think it's really so valuable that you are on my committee because you're not a psychologist, okay. and that's that comes back to to my uh, strong belief that we cannot be siloed in our work, especially when we're thinking about these problems that permeate every. Uh, possible human being on this planet, uh, whether people are aware of it or not. And I think we need to take a multidisciplinary approach. Um, so I think the more people from as many disciplines as possible who are thinking and engaging with this type of work, the better. Yeah.
1: what a, What a great note to wrap up. Thank you for joining us on Confluence.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: If you like what you've heard, you've got a team of talented graduate students to thank. Produced and edited by Kathleen Shannon from the M.A. program in journalism. Sound design from Kate Lloyd from the M.F.A. program in media arts. Jacob Christensen from the M.F.A. program in theater edits the website and works the social media magic. And you, and you, and from Pride and Prejudice.